Matthew chapter 6, if you would turn there. As I told our early service this morning that we've been going through Sermon on the Mount for quite some time, uh, 11 weeks or so that we've been going through it, and we've just simply obeyed God and continue to do so, and I'm going to continue to do that as He has led me to do this. And uh, based on my estimation, I think we have this week and maybe two more after this that we're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount. You say, but Pastor Bob, it's Christmas time. It's almost Christmas time. You should talk about angels and snowflakes and snowmen. Yeah, I probably should, but I think I'm going to obey God first and then we'll get to the other stuff later. So this morning, uh, we have covered many, many things over the last 11 weeks from the transformation explained in the Beatitudes followed by uh, you know, Jesus dealing with the heart of the law and we dealt with anger and murder, we dealt with adultery and lust, we dealt with divorce and broken covenants. And a couple weeks ago we talked about how uh, the misuse of the law for revenge rather than love was not acceptable. And last time we spoke we talked about avoiding hypocrisy, avoiding doing acts of righteousness for our own glory. And after talking about that, Jesus now kind of dovetails uh, from that in, into a deeper topic with it, a deeper point with it, uh, as he continues to deal with the motives of man's heart uh, in hypocrisy, imploring people to look at them and see how righteous I am, see how good I am, see how great I am by their righteous acts. And he looked, look here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus moves away from just talking about self-righteous acts for the glory of of men to pat us on the back and tell us what a great job we're doing and, and how good we are and all of these things. He moves from that to get deeper into the heart of the issue, which ultimately boils down to the fact that we're building up our storehouse, our treasures, the things that we love, the things that we hold dear. We're building those things up and we have a choice. We can build up a storehouse of those treasures here or we can build up a storehouse of those treasures in eternity in the kingdom of God someday. We can store up a temporary treasure or we can store up an eternal treasure. And Jesus says that the treasures, the things we treasure, the things we hold dear, we must be careful because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if our treasure is worldly based, then our heart's going to be worldly based. And if our treasure is going to be heavenly based, then our hearts are going to be heavenly based. All of the things that Jesus is covering here on the Sermon on the Mount is dealing with the heart of man. It's dealing with the condition of man and the things that man is exalting and the things that man is, is not exalting or tearing down. It cannot be both. It must be one or the other. Mankind will do everything that Jesus has warned us about up to this point because of one word, idolatry. Our hearts giving homage and worship and praise to something instead of God. We talked about anger and hatred and murder. We talked about those things. Jesus spoke about those things. 
And, and, and that only comes about because of idolatry. What is it that we are angry about? What is it that we're killing for? What is it that we're fighting for? Well, if you look back at Cain and Abel, the very first story of hatred and anger and, and, and murder in the Bible, we talked about it when we talked about uh, these things. But, but here, was, here was Cain who wanted to serve God his own way, and he was jealous of his brother Abel because he obeyed the Lord. Abel obeyed the Lord, did what was right. He was accepted in God's sight. And God even told Cain, you'll be accepted if you do what's right too. But Cain refused. And instead, every time he saw Abel, he was a stench. He was a stench in his nostril. He was jealous of him. And he looked at him and he hated Abel because Abel, in his mind, was better than him. And it was a competition and he got him out of the way. Idolatry. Why? Because... Cain wanted to serve his God his own way instead of doing it the right way. And every time he looked at Abel, he saw truth. We talked about adultery. Jesus talked about adultery. For a person, in order for a person to do this, they have to exalt themselves, one, or they have to exalt the, the person that they're pursuing. And in the book of, of uh, I believe it's Colossians, let me grab my notes. In Colossians 3, 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. All of these things are idolatry in and of themselves. They're connected together. Divorce comes as a result of adultery, which is idolatry. In other words, a person throwing off of their vows because the other side of the, the, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence and pursuing those things, when they throw those vows off and pursue those things because they want something different, that is idolatry. They've idolized a person and they've idolized themselves above the truth of God's word. We misuse the, misuse the law uh, for revenge, condemning and judging others. These are all things we've talked about. This form of idolatry is a bit more sketchy, but the truth is that we have set ourselves up as judge and jury against another. We become, <laughs> we become unreasonable. We demand justice because somebody touched our things. Oh, here in America, our things are precious, aren't they? Our stuff is precious. Somebody break one of my things or take one of my things or touch one of my things. They're going to pay for it to the fullest extent of the law. And, and so, again, we've idolized something. You say, Pastor, I don't have any idols in my life. Then somebody, let somebody touch it and you'll find out if you've got an idol in your life. Amen? We use religion as idolatry. Church attendance can become a ritual that replaces relationship and obedience in Christ. Jesus talked about our acts of righteousness in front of people and getting a pat on the back for our things. All the things that we do, our religious behavior can become a form of idolatry because we begin to worship the ritual rather than the God. So there are all kinds of forms of idolatry and the reality of it is, is that, that we all fall into these categories. We all struggle with it. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter whether it be religious, it doesn't matter whether it be relationships, whether it be your things or your stuff, there is a certain throne in your heart. There is a treasure, a place for a treasure that should be heavenly. It should be me. And if you're only concerned, folks, if we're only concerned about building up our kingdom, our kingdom, on this world, on this earth, then we're going to fall short at building God's kingdom and we're all going to be sorely disappointed someday. This is what Jesus is getting to. All this stuff, 
All the things that we worry about in this life, everything that we pursue, all the loopholes and everything else that we try to, try to do in our lives is, 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 is causing us a problem. We get distracted from the real purpose, which is to serve and obey and love God and to carry out His will in our lives. It's very simple. So Jesus is making clear that we as Christians must do all we can to guard against uh, idolatry of any form. Turn over to your Bibles, in your Bibles, keep your finger there, and we'll come back to Matthew, but Luke chapter 18. As I was at a convention a couple weeks ago with the kids, uh, it's been a one week ago, it's only been one week ago with our teens, um, uh, Scotty Gibbons uh, shared a message the first night that we were there, um, was talking about missing heaven for one thing. And he referenced this passage of Scripture, and as soon as he started reading it, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about this service. And I said, okay, I'll use it. Um, but we're using it a little different than what they did that night. But Luke 18, let's look at it, beginning in verse 16. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus is teaching and he says, look, the kingdom of heaven belongs to little children. In other words, unless you receive the kingdom like a little child, it's not going to work. How does a child receive a kingdom? Well, Alyssa and I were in the car the other day and we were talking. And uh, talking about little Micah. Uh, little Micah's precious. He's just like this big and he eats a lot. And... And he, eating and bodily functions, that's about it. That's about all he does. And I, I was talking to her, listen, in my life, in our home, my, my life, we've been blessed enough to experience parenthood in two ways. Um, through adoption and by the birth of our own child. And, and both is parenthood, but both is different. And I love both the same. I love them dearly, but it's just different. I understand when I adopted Kevin, I understood what it meant for the father to adopt us in and to take us as his own. I get that and I understand that, even with all of our faults, failures, and shortcomings. Amen? I get it. But then when, when Alyssa was born, I held all five pounds, six ounces of her. And I melted. I told Alyssa, I said, you, she goes, I love babies. I love all babies. I said, you don't understand what love is until you hold your own. I love all babies. I'm not going to take somebody's baby and spike it like a football. You know what I'm saying? I love all babies. I'm not going to hurt all babies, and I like all babies, but I don't want all babies to spend the night at my house. You know what I'm saying? But when it's your baby... Is different. And you look them in the eye. And you realize 
Without me, this baby ain't going to make it. And I told Alyssa, I said, this thing happens inside of you as a parent. And I said, I hadn't talked to Kurt and Miranda about this yet, but I said, this thing happens inside of you where there's just so much love that you can feel it. Like it's tangible. Like it just comes out of you in tears. <gasps> Why am I crying? <laughs> Why are you crying? Oh, she's just so beautiful. <laughs> Why? Why are you laughing uncontrolled? I don't know. <laughs> if you don't believe me, just check the Facebook of any new parent or any old parent. Amen? There is an overflow of love. I tease Carla because uh, my nieces send her pictures constantly. Constantly of the grandkids. She goes, I want the grandcuties coming to me every day in, in, in photos and texting. You hear the phone. Bing, bing, bing. Videos. And listen, why? Because there's this overflow of love. But here's the thing. Jesus said, you can't receive the kingdom unless you're like that little child. You have the love of the Father. But here's the cool thing. As, as I watched Mikey even uh, just in the hospital, I hadn't been over their house because I've been sick, but, but when I was in the hospital, Micah is a newborn baby and he's going. <laughs> we know what happens, right? A baby simply opens its mouth and moves it and you go, oh, he's hungry. We've got to give him some food. A child, an infant, knows that if I move my mouth and lips, there's going to be food for me. That's faith. The faith of a child, complete dependency. The fact that if I was to leave Alyssa when she was an infant, just alone on her own all day, she wouldn't make it. The only way we can receive Christ, folks, is to come to Him and say, if I don't have you, I erase myself. I erase all self-sufficiency. I come to you and I realize, and I have faith enough, that if I open my mouth, you're going to fill it. I don't have to earn your love. I don't have to earn your trust. I remember a conversation I had with my dad when I was little. I always thought I had to earn his, always had to earn his love. And, and we lost a baseball game. And I was upset. And I told him, I said, I just want you, I just want you to be proud of me. And he said, I don't, you don't have to win a ball game for me to be proud of you. I was a little kid driving down Portland Arch Road. I can tell you where we were. He don't even remember the conversation. We went over the hill from Roger and Linda's, just started across the little bridge, headed down Portland Arch Road to go home. I'm in the back seat of the car crying because we lost a baseball game. And Dad said, you don't have to win a ball game for me to be proud of you. I'm proud of you because you're my son. That moment I learned I didn't have to earn my dad's favor. Suddenly what happened was is I didn't do things to earn his favor. I did things to make him smile. There's a difference. My love, his love for me didn't depend upon it, but, but I enjoyed playing football. And when I would sack the quarterback, look and point at my dad in the stands. Why? Because I knew he would love me? No, because I knew it would make him smile. Just like he's smiling right now. He remembered it. <laughs> He said, now that I remember. <laughs> this whole dependence thing upon God is important. 
And for us to understand as a child, I come to you, God, needing everything from you. Insert self-righteous man suddenly into the story. What can I do to receive eternal life? Because I'm not going to humble myself. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to be like a little child because I'm wealthy and I have everything. You know, I, if I want something, I can go get it. If I'm hungry, I just go buy something. If I'm tired, I've got a warm house to sleep in. I've got all these things. So basically what just happened is, as he steps up and says, what must I do? And Jesus knew what was going on. And he said, look, you know the commandments. And he names them all off to him. And he said, yes, the most self-righteous statement I've ever seen in the Bible. I've kept all those since I was a child. Wow. <laughs> really? 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 He had kept them in his mind to the standard of the worldly religious standard that said it's okay to look at a woman uh, and lust after her, just don't go all the way. So in his mind, he kept it to the worldly standard. But we know what Jesus had just taught. He taught about the heart and what was going on. This person was messed up and they had no idea. He had a form of religion. I go to church every day. I go to church every Sunday. I, I follow the rules. I'm a good Christian. Why? What, what else do I need to do? Jesus said, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have. And come follow me. And he left sad. Why did he leave sad? Because Jesus said, I want you to get rid of your God. I want you to get rid of your self-sufficiency. I want you to get rid and find out what it means to be a little child and have to open your mouth up and have faith that I'm going to fill it. I want you to step out of your self-righteous attitude of trying to earn my love and just simply make me smile from time to time. You see, folks, the problem is with us here today, and what Jesus is saying is you're building a treasure on this earth. In other words, you're building your self-sufficiency now and you're going to be bankrupt when you get to heaven. Idolatry. This individual had had his idol in place. He had worshipped it. He maybe didn't bow down to it, but he had had it for his sufficiency for far too long. He had made a bad deal. He had traded in that, that which was eternal for that which was temporal. He had looked at it and he had said, okay, you know, the scripture says, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? I can tell you about anything. About anything that he's willing to worship. About anything that makes him comfortable. About anything that he can run to. It doesn't profit him anything. As a matter of fact, it's trading down. It's a bad deal. Anything can come between us and Christ. And anything that does is an idol. If something is removing you from obedience to God, it's causing you to sin, causing you to compromise, you recognize it and you still don't stop, but rationalize it, you can be sure that it is an idol and it has the potential of causing you to trade the, the eternal for the temporal. You will go away sad. Aren't we encouraged this morning? Look back at Luke 18, read on. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Listen, folks, 
You want to know who then can be saved? It's impossible for all of us. We always like to pick on this guy because it's money. So when we turn towards uh, idolatry, we always like to point toward money. And we always like to point out rich people and talk about how hard it is for a rich person to get in heaven. Let me throw this out, this thought. What is it that you're rich in? Because you better be careful with whatever it is that you're rich in because whatever you're rich in can become an idol very quickly. Is it rich in material items? Is it rich in family? Is it rich in food? Is it rich in... You fill in the blank. Entertainment and time? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a chef to get into heaven. That's harsh, isn't it? How about we say it like this? For people who like to eat to get into heaven. You know, food can be an idol. I'm preaching to the choir on that one. Struggle with it. You're good, buddy. It was, it was appropriate. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What if, is it, what, if, what if it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a parent to get into heaven? What if you're rich in little kiddos? You know that you can parent to a fault. You really can. You can parent to the point to where the kid is exalted to here and God is here. There is a point. Folks, my point is this. It can be entertainment. It can be anything. Listen, let's just say this. Especially for us here in America. Well, we could say this one too. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for an employee or a businessman to get into heaven. Anything. So let's just put it this way. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for anybody to get to heaven. You want to know why? Can't be earned anyway. It requires a miracle. It requires a life change. It requires you and I to become like a little child without an agenda, without manipulation, without trying to get something just simply to open their mouth. with confidence enough to know that God's going to fill it. So, if this is who we rest in, and this is who we put our hope in, let's read on in Matthew 6. Go back to it with me, if you will. Jesus gives us some clarification of how to guard ourselves from idolatry. Matthew 6, verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body, If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Number one, how do we guard ourselves against idolatry? Jesus says that we need to treasure purity by controlling our eyes. We need to treasure purity by controlling our eyes. Job said this, he was a righteous man, declared righteous by God, and he said this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Listen, we need to make a covenant with our eyes because if we're having trouble finding out if we have an idol in our lives or where we find out where the danger is for an idol in our lives, we need to be sure to to evaluate what we're beholding and what we're constantly thinking about. 
If you say, Pastor, I have no idols in my life, let me challenge you to check what it is that's going in your eyes. Because if what is going in you is light, that's good. But if what is going in you is darkness, and you're making a God out of it and fashioning a God out of it, how deep is that darkness? I'll give you an example. I've shared this example before, but man, I'm talking too much. Are we good? We're good, right? I don't worry about you. You're fine. Uh, Don't you like how I have conversations with myself sometimes? I, years ago, I, I used to be a big-time IU basketball fan. Big-time. I mean, I knew, I knew the players. I knew the recruits. I knew recruits that were coming. I knew the people they were scouting that were freshmen and eighth graders. I was following it. I knew st- stats. I knew when the games were on. We'd make sure we'd go to games. I would record games. If I wasn't home, I would record the games. It was back when it was on Channel 10 a lot, and I could record them at home. And, and if I wasn't going to be home, I'm busy setting the, the, the VCR. Remember those days? The VCR, <laughs> setting the timer to record it. And I was all worried about it. And I was like, I can't miss the game. And if I watched the game, I was mad if they lost. And I was like, yeah, happy if they won. Crazy, stupid. I applied to Inside Indiana Magazine. I would get the paper as a paper magazine. It would come like once a month and, and it would go through and you read it from front to back multiple times. And one day the Holy Spirit decided to have a conversation with me. Don't you love it when God talks to you? He said, what are you doing? This is what he said to me. He said, Name to me right now, 12 apostles. What? Name to me, 12 apostles right now. I don't, I don't know them. He said, okay, go ahead and name to me every member of the IU basketball team. I knew those. So you don't memorize scripture, Bob, but you memorize the, you, you, you remember the statistics. Yeah. He said, when you miss church, you don't ask for a recording of the service. And he said, if you'd just let me control your emotions as much as you let that ball game control your emotions, we'd be doing a whole lot better. I had to go on an IU basketball fast. I told April, I says, too much. It's become too much. And inside, she's going... I look back now, I said this in the first service, what I wish I would have done is I would have, I wish I would have replaced every game with Bible study for two hours. I wish I would have done that. I mean, I just didn't think that way, but God helped me overcome that and my heart was right about it. And even, even through this whole thing with the Colts, I, I like the Colts, I like football. And, and, and God has tapped me on the shoulder. Last year, um, we we're, were going to visit Kev and, and so it was like most of the games are at one o'clock and I don't have, I don't pay for television. I don't have a DVR. I don't have anything where I can record it. And uh, I'm thinking I'm going to miss the half of every game. And the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, remember Indiana, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> Keep it in check, Bob. And I have. And I haven't thrown a fit, have I, babe? We haven't thrown a fit. So my point is this. What is it that you're looking at? What is it that you're dwelling upon? Look. Because here's what we're supposed to do. 
According to Scripture, we're supposed to be dwelling upon God's Word. We're supposed to bind it on our doors. We're supposed to speak about it when we rise and we sit down. Correct? Am I in the book? Huh? And if that's not what we're speaking about ever, you better listen to your speech, better see what you're looking at, and find your idol and destroy it. Isn't this good stuff? Don't you love your pastor? Don't you love him? I love that guy. Not like idolatry or anything, but I love him. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, everybody say cannot. You cannot serve both God and money. If everybody could, would just read that and, and memorize that, you can't serve both. And it's not just money. Fill in that blank with anything else. Money is just what's being talked about right there. You can't serve God and Indiana basketball. Or Purdue. Or Illinois. Or Butler. Or Ball State. You're welcome. So according to Matthew 6, first we, we have to watch our eyes. Second, we've got to treasure Christ. You've got to come to grips with it. You cannot serve anything else above or with God. I, I, look, I look into the, the history of Israel as they're going through the wilderness and, and Aaron fashioning a calf and how they bow down and worship a calf. I mean, we look at this stuff and Israel tried to, tried to worship uh, God and pagan gods together multiple times. Folks, it doesn't work. You'll love one and hate the other. You're going to break the law of one or the other. God doesn't coexist. I don't care how many bumper stickers you got on your car. You can put 45 coexist bumper stickers on your car. He don't. He is the self-existent I am. Can I get an amen for that? I'm going to make bumper stickers that just says self-exist. Jehovah. <laughs> Let's do that one. Coexist. Anyway, I'm off my notes. It doesn't work. And as it comes to the deception of greed, sexual idolatry, and selfishness, all these things are no different than what Israel was trying to do when they're worshiping pagan gods and God together. It's like showing up to church and leading a second life anyway. You're still worshiping another idol. You can't do both. It is impossible. We don't trust God with our finances, so we seek wealth with a greedy worship. We don't want to wait at the bottom of the mountain in obedience, so we rush into sexual immorality. We become self-consumed with impatience for anything we want, and so we pursue it for ourselves, even if it means we dishonor God and disobey Him. All these things were done by Israel with some form of religious activity intact and even carrying the name of God upon themselves. It is possible for us. So we must be careful. Verse 25. So we guard our eyes. We make Christ the center of everything. We obey Him regardless. We quit joining worship of other things. And we obey Him. Thirdly is this. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Uh, This whole thing about worry, treasure contentment. We need to treasure contentment. Treasure purity with our eyes. Treasure Christ as our all in all. And treasure contentment. Philippians 4.12 says, Paul says this, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. This is not a natural reaction to life. You have to learn to be content. You have to control yourself to become content. 
And there's a few levels of it here that he gives us. Matthew 6, 26 and 27. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? We have to, number one, learn to be content for our daily bread. The very thing Jesus told us to pray for. Just what I need today, my daily bread, Lord. Give me that. This, this whole root of contentment, folks, is faith. It's taking the character of God and, and understanding that you can depend upon Him. It's looking at God and His faithfulness and His goodness as our Heavenly Father that says, listen, if you don't need to worry, then know that you don't need to worry. Be content. Don't bring any trouble into your life because you're pursuing more than you actually need. It is rooted in God's character, faith in His character, His unchanging nature, and faith that He truly does love us. When we grasp this, we can have faith that while the provision is cooperative in nature, meaning He provides, we gather, He will supply what we need. Secondly, we need to learn to be content with the necessities of life. And avoid vanity and excess. Matthew 6, 28-30 And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He's saying, why are you spinning and toiling with all this energy to make yourself look beautiful? Why are you wasting your resources on looking for constant uh, name brand things? You're willing to spay, uh, spay, <laughs> spay your animals, your cats, dogs. You're willing to pay, turn into Bob Barker up here, aren't I? <laughs> willing to pay hundreds and thousands of dollars to make yourself look beautiful. And he said, you don't even need to do that. I clothe. Have you ever driven? Have you ever, folks, look at me and listen. Have you ever driven by a field with weeds in it that are flowered and go, wow, it's really pretty? We're not talking about crop fields. I'm talking about grass fields. Right now, the farmer's going, what are you talking about? That ain't beautiful. That just means Jason didn't do his job, right, Jason? I'm talking about a pasture land. Have you ever driven up into the Smokies and, 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 and go down to Cade's Cove and, and drive that wrap and just look out over that plain and the grass and the flowers? You can't tell me. Everybody is driving two miles an hour going, oh. you know why? Because that's how God clothes things. What Jesus is saying here is, is when you get up in the morning, instead of fretting about finding the most expensive jewelry and the most expensive clothes, clothe yourself with Christ. You can be beautiful. Hear me, church. You can be beautiful without the most expensive clothing. Now, don't be a slob. All right? Don't be a dirt bag. Clean yourself. Wash yourself. Brush your teeth your hair and put on some deodorant. Amen? But be content that you're not naked. And let God clothe you with His beauty. 
I've seen people spend thousands of dollars and, and, and paint themselves up in hair and clothes trying to look beautiful. And I have met people that have more beauty about them in their plain dwelling than somebody that's really gone overboard. Beauty that's deep. Beauty that flows from the inside out. Beauty that has an eternal impact. We talked on Wednesday night in Ephesians 2.7. In the coming ages, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And, and as we talked about that, we made a parallel. What that's talking about is God's going to put the church on display. He loves us so much, He wants to put us on display. He wants to place all of His riches of His grace, His goodness and mercy, and put us on display. Hear this though. Some people want to hear that and say, oh, see, He wants to make us have Rolex watches. He wants us to drive nice cars. No, that's not how God wants to put us on display. He wants to clothe us with His beauty, with His joy, with his, the gifts and the fruit of His Spirit. The example of this is that I used on Wednesday. I'm hurrying, I promise I'm hurrying. Esther. The book of Esther, the evil Haman who hated the Jews and hated Mordecai the Jew. And Haman went into King Xerxes wanting to be honored and blessed. And King Xerxes sets him up and says, what would you do for the man that, that should be honored? And so here is evil Haman begins to tell him what it is that should be done. And he says, go directly and do it for Mordecai the Jew. And he's like, what? So he has to go and he has to put a robe on Mordecai, has to put him on a horse that the king has ridden and all of these things and lead him through the streets and tell everybody to honor him. This is what the king does for the one that the man honors. And Mordecai just burned with fury inside of him. Listen, child of God, what is it that God does for you in the heavenlies that you don't see and you can't get by buying it at the fashion mall in Indianapolis? Something that you can't purchase with your money. It's God's blessing. It's His honor that He bestows on you. You. And as you go through life in this world, there is an honor that's there that the enemy that hates you has to recognize and he despises you for it. But there is a beauty that you can't purchase. It was given. Don't worry. Don't compete. You are a child of the King. You have been robed and clothed by His Son, by His Spirit, and you are being walked through life and God's saying, just like He did with Job, have you seen Him? Tell me you all don't feel the same way about your kids. That's why you put pictures up all over Facebook. Put them on display. That's my kid. That's what God does with us, so don't fight. Thirdly, by faith... Be content with Christ as your all in all. So verses uh, 31 through 34. So do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. As Alyssa comes, this, this whole thing about worrying about all these things, he's saying, make Christ your all in all. Pursue and seek after His righteousness, His kingdom and His righteousness. Don't get caught up in all these things. Do you all know that every day is going to have some trouble in it? You ever had one of those days? You know what I'm talking about? One of those days? Not just a day, but one of those days. One of those days where you just get up, and from the time you put your feet on the floor to the time you lay your head down in bed at night, 
Everything went wrong. Am I the only, I see a few people giggling. Anybody else have one of those days? Some of you saying, Pastor, that's just life. That's my life every day. I have to do that every day. And you wonder why I'm so upset. That's every day. Pastor, you don't even get it. It's every day. Jesus said every day is going to have some trouble of its own. Don't make it worse by pursuing after silly things. You know what I love about Facebook? These words. I don't normally do this, but. (laughs) I don't normally rant on here, but. Following is a large paragraph. So then everybody's going, but they don't name names. They don't know who they're talking about. They know who it's for. Well, meanwhile, all 685 of your friends goes, is it me? And then they start putting comments under that saying, well, I saw you and waved. I'm sorry if you didn't. And then suddenly somebody else makes a comment and says, well, I think they know something more than these people. So we got to go check their page and see if they know what's happened. Listen, drama, drama, drama. There is enough trouble in the day. Don't create more. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. I don't care who said what. I don't care who did what. You stop it. There's enough trouble in a day. And we're worrying about this. There's stuff out of control. There's things that we can't manage. There's things that are going to come that we can't help. And I've got too much time to create this. Fighting and arguing and bickering over things. People making fun of what so-and-so wear and that didn't match and, and their hair looked awful today. And, and listen... There's too many things. Too much trouble. Don't create more. And idols will. Idols always will create more trouble. Always. The things we pursue, the things we chase after will always create more trouble. And we need to stop it. We need to do that. need to do the right thing. And the right thing is this. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Out of all the things Jesus said, don't seek this, don't do that, don't worry about that. But He gives us two things to seek. He gives us two things to pursue. Two things to do. Two. Everybody say two. Two things. That's it. Seek first His kingdom and then His righteousness. If you've got an idol in your life, it will be replaced. And it needs to be replaced by Christ. If you don't replace it with Christ, you will replace it with another idol. 
And there's enough trouble in today. And there's enough trouble tomorrow. So why don't you open your mouth and let your Heavenly Father feed you in faith? Why don't you get up in the morning and put on what's available and be thankful for it and to step out of the door clothed in the beauty and the righteousness of the Father? And in the meantime, don't create no more trouble for yourself. Guard your eyes and make Christ the center of your world.